BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The Incomparable, number 610, April 2022. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host this week, David J. Lore, and I'm here this week to talk about one of the most popular franchises in uh, film and literary history. Uh, we're coming up on 70 years in print, and this year is 60 years on film. Uh, if you're imagining a circle panning across the screen to find a man walking that turns and shoots as a, as a really good bass riff goes on behind it, yes, we're talking about Bond, James Bond. And joining me to talk about Bond... You know her giggle from countless drafts and game shows. It's Kelly Gamont. Gamont. Kelly Gamont. And you know him from Lions, Towers, and Shields, as well as actually writing the script to the most insane Muppet film pitch. It's Nathan Alderman. I have exactly one thing in common with James Bond, and that is that we have both driven small children in a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> And joining us for the first time on The Mothership, you may have heard him on Football is Life and on the radio theater as part of our ongoing Galaxy Scouts series. Welcome to the show, Tom McGrath. I don't want you to explode my laboratory. (laughs) (laughs) No, Mr. McGrath, I expect you to talk. Uh, So this is, first and foremost, this is not a draft. I just want to make that clear. Okay. Uh, and, and we're not here to talk about all of James Bond, because there's a lot of Bond to talk about. Uh, specifically, this time, we want to talk about the most recent The Nintendo film. 64 version of GoldenEye. <laughs> okay, that this is going to be a long podcast in that case. <laughs> I have heard that called the best Bond film, by the way. Um, we're here to talk about the most recent... Maybe not the best, but the most recent, No Time to Die, uh, as well as the Daniel Craig era in general. And uh, at the end, we'll talk a little bit about where does Bond go from here. Uh, but first, before we, before we get into all that, uh, what, what is each of your histories with Bond? Uh, let's, let's start with Kelly. Well, I've read, I think now I've read all the books. Uh, it did take a while. There were a couple I just sort of never got around to. And so I, now I, I think I've read all of the, uh, I guess, official, uh, all the Ian Fleming written books anyway. Sure. And um, I've seen all the films at some point or another. Uh, I have uh, enjoyed all of, the bon- all of the Daniel Craig Bond films in a theater because generally they come out in November 
as is proper so that I can <laughs> go to the movies for my birthday and get to see something fun. So um, that's been really nice. But also, um, uh, like, uh, Mr. Kelly is a huge fan. And so, um, like, they, like I've seen a fair amount of all of them, you know, over time and, and all that sort of thing. So uh, I... There are parts of them that have aged very poorly, but overall, like as a concept, uh, <laughs> Bond is super groovy, which is why I went and sought out the books and uh, started reading them. So, yeah. Uh, Nathan, what uh, what kind of history do you have with Bond? Well, in general, I like my 1960s era super spies to be of the bowler hat and cat suit variety. But <laughs> when I was a kid, I watched um, when I was a kid, I watched a lot of Bond movies uh, with my parents. You know, so I saw. Timothy Dalton, I saw Pierce Brosnan, I saw some old Sean Connerys, and I never really, I enjoyed the movies, they were fun, I never really liked Bond. He was kind of a creep, he didn't really seem to like women, he didn't seem to really like people, and he was way too happy about killing people, and that never sat right with me. And then Daniel Craig showed up in Casino Royale, and finally for the first time, I liked James Bond, I understood him, he was a person. And that is what I have loved about these films. I have loved watching these films over a, an incredible five-film character arc turn this bloodthirsty monster sociopath into a wounded human being who actually evolves, grows, changes, and becomes a fully realized and decent human being by the end of this cycle. And I'm really excited to see where they go after having done that. Hopefully not back to, you know what's fun? Murdering people. <laughs> well, and and it could be said that Craig's Bond is in a way closest to Ian Fleming's Bond. You know, he's I he's would say not, that he's not a perfect human. He's he's wounded. He's tough. Uh, Tom, what is what is your history with Bond? Um, I'm going to go back to the GoldenEye video game. Uh, <laughs> that's probably what I've clocked the most hours doing vis-a-vis -vis Bond. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like so many of us, I grew up being introduced to the films and there are people who are many, many levels more expert than I on them. And then the Pierce Brosnan bonds and the Daniel Craig bonds I saw in the theater. Uh, but everything else was sort of watched out of order and what was available at the video store. Okay. Yeah. So I, it's not comprehensive by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but it's, well, my entree was slappers uh, only. Duran Duran did a th did a Bond theme, and so then I had oh, to know yeah. everything about that movie as a young person. That was sort of oh, oh. but then also <laughs> I have, a, but I know, I trust me, I know. Uh, but also, I have a soft spot for a good spy story, and like every every Bond, whatever you think of the man himself or the villain or the girl or whatever, um. All of them are interesting spy stories. And that's, I think, why I have been so interested in them. And then um, extra interested uh, for the same reasons uh, Nathan outlined with Daniel Craig is because um, they took him in and made James Bond himself interesting. He got like, you know, a third dimension and we hadn't really seen that out of him before. You know, I should also add that I can play uh, Live and Let Die very badly on the piano. And <laughs> my roommate Ryan and I in 2003 would duet to uh, Thunderball uh, for no discernible reason sometimes in the uh, middle of the night. It's a great song. I mean, it's a very discernible reason. I mean, so. it's, it's Tom Jones. I totally get it. 
I it's, totally get it. Also, yeah. I would like to say, granted, I have not seen it, at least not all the way through, but I don't want to hear a single bad word about any James Bond film where Christopher Walken is the villain playing a genetically engineered Superman. I'm sorry. I can't I can't brook any <laughs> criticism of that on any level whatsoever. Good not night, folks. Here. <laughs> it's been a great show. Thanks for having me, everybody. I will say yeah, A View to a Kill A View to a Kill is not as bad as it seems. Um and and largely Fair. my problem with it is Roger Moore. Uh it's a little a little old at that point. Um but yeah, Walken is actually a, a pretty good villain, all things considered. I think I mean the the term Bond villain is sort of shorthand now just because there were so many that were so iconic. I mean, you know, like when you, you know, you hear people talk about Bond villain this or, you know, like, you know, that guy came off like a real Bond villain on, on Zoom yesterday or whatever, you know, and, and, and it's one of those things that's just sort of woven into culture, I think. Right. Well, maybe I just run in more interesting circles because I hear it kind of often, (laughs) but I don't know. But you, you know what it implies, right? I mean, there are bad guys in films right and left and very few of them are, are, described as purely oh you are in relation to this character mm-hmm. right um you know you have the joker and the penguin and all for batman but you just think of them as the joker and the penguin uh, right. whereas bond villain is a type yes there was one thing that bothered me about a lot of the villains throughout um the daniel craig bond run they followed up on the series linking of disfigurement with evil and that was really unfortunate the only character who's even remotely scarred or disfigured beyond bond himself and i'm sorry but there's there's no way you can make daniel craig look ugly um <laughs> he's, he's just a preposterously handsome man but the only other scarred figure in in the daniel craig bond films who's good is Ilya uh olga kuryenko's character in quantum of solace but again and again you see oh, yeah. bad guys who have some kind of disfigurement and it is associated with evil going all the way from Lashif and his blood tears to, um, oh gosh, I can't even forget. Severin. Uh, is that his name? Severin, um, uh, in no um, time to die. Lucifer Safine. Oh, the bad Safine. guy. I, yeah, yeah, that was, I have, I have a lot of problems with Safine, including the fact that he sounds like Sef- yeah. Severin from the previous, from, from Skyfall, but, yeah. It really bothers me watching these movies in in movies that are otherwise smart, empathetic and really cool in so many ways that over and over you have disfigurement being a shorthand for evil. How does Blofeld get even more evil after Spectre? Well, he shows up and he's horribly burned and missing an eye. And then Safine is scarred and he's got that henchman who's missing an eye. And it's just like, surely there are people out there. I, I am lucky enough to have not suffered any major disfigurements, but surely there are people out there who are like, you know, I really wish you wouldn't say that just because I don't look like everyone else, I must be a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, having having like an odd job. Uh, well, he's mute because he has a cleft palate and he's oriental. So he's exotic. And yes, he's a bad guy. Come on. Yeah. Like I said, some of them, did, some of what's in them didn't age all that well, no. but, yeah. but they're all interesting. I, I feel like at, at least for the most part, like even execution aside, uh, execution of the, of, of the vision aside, like the story behind each of the movies and like what, you know, what's supposed to be happening in them is all to me anyway, is always really interesting because 
the, um, you know, not necessarily like the villain's backstory or anything like that, but this is what's happening. And, you know, um, they're trying to fabricate a war. You know, this guy runs every news organization and he's trying to fabricate a war is a fun one. Um, yes. You know, I, I, that the one, bad guy plot in Quantum of Solace is just a real thing that happened in the world. Large private companies bought up water infrastructure in poor countries and then like sabotaged the public water infrastructure so that they could make more money went, selling oh, water to people. Yeah. Right. And and that was a an interesting villain because that's like real life. I feel like it works better when they go broad strokes though. I mean the currency is the broadest of possible strokes on these in these movies when they tried to explain the Pierce, Bro like the last Pierce Brosnan one that was like space lasers or something. And they're like, but wait, here's the science behind it or whatever it was. I don't even <laughs> yeah, I didn't care. I can't. I don't remember. But they spent so much time being like trying to justify the bad guy plot as semi-realistic. It's like, no, just tell us that he's going to steal all the water. Like, fine, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only part that mattered. Yeah. yeah. I mean, OK, your car is invisible. Don't explain it. <laughs> exactly. I think every once in a while there's a bit of that that I find uh that I also find tedious. Um it's fun because and I think part of it is because we sort of got spoiled with Q who used to just give the right amount of mm -hmm. explanation, right? Like, you know, right. um this is a pen that allows you to breathe underwater. Okay, you know, and you click it. it three times and then bam. Okay, thank you. I don't need to know how or why. Just tell me you click it three times and then, you know, when I see him click his pen twice, I know something's about to jump off. That's all I wanted to know. And, you know, that's all I need out of Q. At, like, that's all I need out of the movie is like that level of explanation. Here's the mechanics of it. I don't need to tell you about why it works or what makes it stupendous or anything like that. Like, just give me enough to tell me what it is right because i mean honestly that was my hang up with the most recent bond villain was like it, you're not really t i don't get why he's a bad guy and i don't get why you know like i i just had a really hard time with with him i had a lot of hang-ups about the latest bond movie. i i did yeah. too <laughs> i i really liked the latest bond movie but boy howdy do i have issue with its villain so many <laughs> that is that is Very the one confusing. glaringly bad spot in an otherwise i thought really good movie yeah, I, I'm very torn on the most recent film, and I guess we, we can just move right into talking about it. No Time to Die, the longest uh, Bond film. I'm going to interrupt you for just a moment, because we know now from the film that it's actually pronounced No Time to Die. <laughs> there you go. As, as What's-Her-Face gets the gets the phrase when she pushes the <laughs> mysteriously evil Russian doctor who decides to be extremely racist at the last minute into the <laughs> vat of acid. You know what time it is? No, time to die. Oh, that's the name of the film. And you know, and I, I went back to reread some synopses of it just to make sure that I had it back in my brain. And and I I still can't tell if it's a vat of acid or a vat of the nanobots. Which it's just a big poison soup. That doesn't make soup. any sense. You know, yeah. it's, it's poison soup. Is don't basically fall what in, it is. don't fall in the fountain. It'll end badly for you. Is really yeah. the only again the only part we needed yeah. to know. The rest of it shouldn't have mattered. Honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, this I watched is... it today and I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I was just. I, I don't understand why you have to wait so long for the her hero of the movie to show up and then she's only in it for twenty minutes and then you never see her again and there's like. 
two more hours with some other guy who I guess dies at the end. But right, yeah, it's it's weird, the weird guy. Anna de Armas movie, guys. Really was, weird Anna de Armas movie. Uh, my, she my, was extraordinary for the record. My favorite yes. review of this movie was uh like first hour first hour. Where's Anna de Armas? Ten minutes of Anna de Armas. Two hours of movie. I miss Anna de Armas. <laughs> and that like I just want to like this is part of why just to skip to the end. I was very sad to see. James Bond will return in the final credit because what I really wanted it to say was well, 007 will return. We'll get to what, that. Yes. Because all I want in life is our other double O our other 007. Um, and I just want to keep calling her her name from Captain Marvel. <laughs> but uh, her, Lynch is the actress's name. Yes. I want her and Anna de Armas to go off and have other adventures just like all I ever really wanted out of these movies was to get like a web series at some point where they would give you know like 15 or 20 minute little vignettes of Alex of James Bond and Felix on days off where they are just like <laughs> hanging out both wearing those like nice you know untucked shirts and and like drinking beer and sitting in the sun and and chit chatting and you know accidentally end up in the middle of some sort of a situation because you know that's exactly what happened to the two of them and their relationship instantly i feel like the relationship with the most chemistry in the entire daniel craig bond era is james bond and felix Slater. oh absolutely hands down I... and they're my favorite and i want to watch that movie where they're not having to save the world and they just sort of end up having to save the bar or the woman who's in some sort of distress or the man who's in some sort of distress or whatever like that. And I wanted to say that that Ana de Armas sequence gave me something I have been waiting my whole life to see in a James Bond film. We got dangerously close to it in Tomorrow Never Dies. We almost got there in Quantum of Solace. And finally, in No Time to Die, we get a sequence where James Bond meets a woman. She is very good at her job. He appreciates this. He respects her. He treats her like a colleague, and they do not at any point smooch. He just says, and they part you did ways. great. I respect you as a person. Thank you very much. And they part company. Mm -hmm. I know that that's not James Bond, but I love a busted trope, and I love to seeing <laughs> that one die. And you know, there's so much... That was the thing about this movie. I think part of why I'm so frustrated with it is because, aside from the issues that I had with it, are the things that I loved, I really, really loved. Like, James like 007 not being James Bond anymore and how they played with that and how they turned uh, Bond girl inside out with Anna Darmas you know that exact moment that you're talking about and all of the other uh, all of the other things that happen you know that just sort of imply at least in this movie you know that that all bets are off right and uh, you know because I I never I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, I never thought he had any chemistry with this woman that we spent so many movies with and nope. that he now has a child with. <laughs> like, well. I mean, I've and, and I think part of the reason that it was in that it was so obvious in this movie to me is because he has great chemistry with Felix and then Felix dies. And I will admit I cried when that happened. And. Uh, he has great chemistry with Anadarmus. The two of them together are super fun. Him and 007, him and the other 007 are super fun. Him and, and Moneypenny have their moments. Him and Q. Um, oh, God, I love Q. And all of them are, all of them are, like, all of those relationships are great. He and Christoph Waltz have better chemistry. Yeah. I mean, they did. They absolutely did. And then we get 
this girl that comes, you know, this girl that that is coming back for another movie and, you know, and they they tried to bend a bunch of rules with her. And I'm just like, every time she's on the screen with him, I'm bored. And it just bothered me. I feel like Leia Seydoux could have chemistry with a lamp. Um, that's could. Just me. Um, <laughs> I, I think she could. I've seen her. I've seen her in other. Th- well, I've seen her in other things and, and she's been great in them. This is just not that. I just I liked the fact that they brought back a love interest from a previous movie. They treated they, they didn't just be like, and at some point between the end of this movie and this one, he dumped her or she dumped him. Um, I his relationship with her was one of the few things I enjoyed about Spectre. Um, boy, was that a that oh. was a movie. Um, I have yeah. good things to say about it, but also. Yeah, um, but, <laughs> but then, have, but then so, there was the plot. I have literally no memory of Spectre. I had to go back and I was like, who is this woman? I don't, I, I know she's important, but I cannot place her. I mean, Spectre has some really terrific things. Dave Bautista makes a wonderful oh, henchman. Oh, right. oh, he's, he's so terrific. Good. He's terrific. And the scene, so I hate everything about Blofeld in Spectre except yep. his opening introduction <laughs> scene, because when you have... They, they do a great job of introducing who he is without saying a word. He walks into mm-hmm. a table in a, into a room full of people and they fall silent. He sits down at a table and he waits. There is a microphone easily within reach of him that he could grab and put in front of himself. And instead he waits and someone hands it to him. And suddenly, you know, everything you need to know about this person. Unfortunately, then he just turns out to be a whiny little jerk who should have just gotten some therapy already and stopped <laughs> being a baby. <laughs> Well, so this is my biggest problem with Spectre, which is my least favorite of the five uh, Craig films. Amen. Because uh, I'm so happy that they got the rights to use Blofeld and Spectre again. I'm so happy we got an actor like Christoph Waltz to to be Blofeld and he doesn't have to be bald and he doesn't have to wear the the Donald Pleasant's Nehru jacket or have a cat or anything. (laughs) Um. You know, he, I mean, he, he could have had a cat, and that would have been yes. Okay. A kitty never. You never go wrong with a kitty. Q has the hairless cat. That's true, and and he might have had a cat. We just didn't see it. I'll you know I can headcanon that. But but then giving him this whole explanation of oh well you're my foster brother and my parents the ski instructors when your parents died took you in and and then they loved you best because you were good and I was evil and and I'm like I don't want the foster brother thing i don't want there to be any other reason than this is bond's job and he's a bond villain again stop it don't tell me don't care i don't i didn't need to all of a sudden have family especially because we had skyfall we heard about family it was a thing we got a whole like and honestly part of what made that movie remarkable was that it had way more backstory than I think we've gotten in any Bond movie. Mm-hmm. About Are we shifting Bond. to Skyfall because that's great. Absolutely, yeah. Skyfall. Yeah. Skyfall does the does the magic trick of making his history scaffolding for his relationship with M. Yes. Yes. Like that's what I'm interested in. Is that like I'm more interested in the MI6 office than I am <laughs> who raised this guy. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah, belabor the point. It doesn't no. go crazy with it. It just says, here's the basics. Here's the house. 
There, yeah. you're done. And then the house becomes the, the the house and the history with it become the architecture around which they build a really exciting set piece. Right. Yeah. Also, I mean, even though he was it was that part was obviously meant for Sean Connery, I am never sorry to see Albert Finney on a on a movie screen. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's just yeah. so yeah. great. I mean, I wish I wish Connery had come back to play the groundskeeper. That would have been epic. But if you can't get Connery, Albert <laughs> Finney is wonderful. And and I just I remember sitting there opening weekend in the theater with with the friend I went to see it with, and as soon as they get to Skyfall and as soon as the you know it becomes clear what they're doing and we both just started giggling because we're like oh my god it's Home Alone it's Bond doing Home Alone yes <laughs> which we've <laughs> never seen a Bond thought. film that was delightful we've never seen that kind of small scale intimate planning ahead Bond on the back foot kind of situation. This series has some terrific action sequences. I love in Casino Royale, the opening sequence that introduces James Bond is a masterclass in introducing character through yeah. action. The The guy he's chasing is doing parkour. He's like jumping around things, through things. Bond is smashing through everything like a <laughs> blunt instrument. And that it, it's both really exciting and a fun contrast visually but it also tells you everything you need to know about this guy at this point in his life i love that so much and it's still maybe my favorite action sequence in any of the bond films uh the, the daniel craig films anyway um okay that's nifty but specter's opening sequence is in my heart that is the finest opening james bond sequence not daniel craig james bond film opening sequence yeah. and it is not close the Day of the Dead Party and the helicopters. It's everything you need out of a Bond sequence. It's ridiculously over the top. There's a sexy lady in the middle. An entire block gets obliterated. We've got like helicopter barrel rolls. And then the action really jumps off. Like, I mean, like I've I've watched I've watched that sequence over and over again without watching the rest of the film. Same. Um, I think I think the opening sequence of Skyfall is fantastic too. Uh, they they do have a really good uh, eye for designing sequences like that, fight scenes and just big action set pieces. And even even No Time to Die has really good set pieces as long as I'm not paying attention to the plot. Carrie <laughs> Fukunaga was the exact right person to do this film. Yes. Because I could follow all the set pieces. <laughs> Quantum of Solace, yes. I'm thinking of specifically, is like, I had no idea what was going on. I Anytime things started to move faster than a walk. I would like to <laughs> just <laughs> stick up for Quantum of Solace's opera house sequence. That is some incredible editing. And I just oh, love that hmm, as a piece of cinema. Super cool. Okay. Yeah. But I had no idea what was happening. No idea <laughs> why. No idea. Like... As far as any of that, like as a sequence, it was super cool to watch because I did kind of flip through them earlier today. And that one, like there was, I felt like I needed to go back and watch that whole movie to see what was going on. Because I sort of, I was like, I don't remember anything that happens in this movie. And it turns out I still don't like flipping through the film didn't give me any sort of advance, <laughs> like any sort of reminder of, like, oh, yeah, this is what happened. All I remember was like the whole last half hour, like everything was on fire. And that's really all I remember. And that was it. And that that held up. Uh, I wanted it to be good. And like, I really right. all I wanted out of because that was the second 
Daniel Craig film, if I'm yes. remembering right. So, yes. you know, we've gotten one that was great. So let's see what the next one is. And <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if, I, I can see really great things in all five of them. Yeah. I, st- I still think Casino Royale is probably, for my money, the, the, the best and most sustained over its, over its running time. Of mm-hmm. all the Craigs, it's the most coherent. It's the most like, here's a story and we're going to tell it. Well, it's, yeah. it's intimate. It's small scale. And Bond is not, uh, he becomes bigger and bigger and bigger as the movies go on. They keep yes. some level of grounding, but he becomes bigger and bigger. In Casino Royale, he is always outmatched. Always, you know, under the gun, literally on or the back figuratively. Foot. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that is what makes that film so successful. Plus his... I thought he had great chemistry with Ava Green in that movie, but oh, again, yeah. maybe that's just me. That's um, um it's it's no. just Ava Green. It's um, just Ava Green, yeah. <laughs> and credit where credit is due. Daniel Daniel Craig does a good job, you know. Oh, absolutely. For having chemistry with people. He survived <laughs> poker with Hannibal Lecter. I mean, come on. I went to see Casino Royale opening weekend with uh two friends of mine who were married at the time. Um to set the scene, she is a ball of fire, you know, no filter, hilarious. He is a lovable curmudgeon, old beyond his years. Daniel Craig comes out of the ocean in his famously tiny shorts, and the wife turns to me and starts punching me in the arm. And when I turn, she is grinning hugely and giving me two big thumbs up. And I'm mouthing, <laughs> why are you telling this to me? Your husband is right over there. <laughs> <laughs> after the movie he began waxing rap- rhapsodic on the well-seasoned charms of judy dench so <laughs> <laughs> and there's your answer I um mean, yeah. no i mean we we saw it opening weekend too and and my wife has indulged me in going to see bond films in the past and uh like we saw the world is not enough and she just kind of gave me a look afterwards like really really you, you <laughs> like these you, you really like these and we we came out of casino royale and she's like, well, Daniel Craig is very pretty. Mm-hmm. This is a long pause. Uh, but we did, we did kind of agree that there's a really good two-hour film in there, and it's about two hours and 20 minutes. They, it, yep. You know, it has... It has ah, but that's tradition. Trim. Yes. That's Bond tradition. <laughs> From yeah. Russia with Love is a great 90 minutes. Oh, Yeah. Talk I about. liked the fact, though, that that, you know, you think the movie's over, like Le Chief gets vanquished and then like you get to see Bond recuperate from his considerable injuries and <laughs> fall in love. And then then after you're like, oh, OK, he's he's all right. He's going to be OK. This this big, sweet, you know, Rottweiler of a man. Um, then the hammer falls and then the yeah. cruel betrayal and I, one thing I loved, it always bothered me that James Bond was misogynist um, all throughout the movies. It just never sat right with me, especially Sean Connery, man. That guy hates him some women in those movies. It's Truly. just, his contempt is palpable. His, his sadistic disinterest in you know any other human being is right there on the screen. But when Daniel Craig says, if you'll pardon my French, the job is done, the bitch is dead. It's an ugly line, but you see his face when he says it, and you know it's a lie. He he is saying that to try and pretend that he doesn't care, and that redeems that line and that moment yeah. and tells you. It, it turns uh, an ugly trope into a character trait that lends depth and is not, you know, because clearly he goes forward and he, he does not hate women. 
-hmm. his future movies. But you can also see he doesn't like he doesn't mean it. He's trying in that moment, like you said, you know, he's trying to convince himself. Exactly. You know, so that so that he's not hung up. And then it turns out he's totally hung up. I mean, the one of the things that I think marks the Daniel Craig era as different from the others is that like all of them feature a Bond girl who is also in another film. Yeah. And and while it is to some um, extent, while it is in the present day and it's it's adapted for the present day, it's actually one of the most uh, faithful to the original novels. And that's that line what I say. And that line is, is in the novel, right? That's the last line of the book. Yeah. Literally. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Well, the, the Craig films delight in upending a lot of the familiar tropes of James Bond, like Money yes. Which I love. Yes. Money Penny, you know, isn't some daffy secretary who's sitting around <laughs> pining after Bond. Money Penny is an elite agent who's like, I feel kind of bad about that time I shot you. So maybe my talents are better <laughs> devoted to protecting this guy instead of, you know, accidentally shooting well, you. And that is such a wonderful moment in Skyfall where, you know, because we don't know who this is at first. And take the shot. Take the take shot. Take the shot. And then we learn it's Money Penny. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I, I will say Skyfall is probably the most beautifully shot. Of the five, Roger Deakins. Oh, you could watch that with I mean the, with the sound off and just look at what a beautiful movie. The glass walled skyscraper scene. Yep, and the oh. silhouetted fights with the multicolored billboards. Yes. And, uh, and the way they recreate gorgeous. the traditional like um, opening sequence of Bond with the opening shot of the film mm-hmm. without doing the the dots, without the, the <laughs> turning and firing toward the camera, yeah. just. He appears at the end of a hallway, turns, comes into focus. Mm-hmm. That's just a genius piece of filmmaking right there. Yeah. And they did a lot of sort of subtle things like that, you know, which is notable because, you know, that's not something James Bond films are known for is their subtlety. <laughs> and they're subtle and there's things like that, but they never, those sorts of things are grace notes. They never go, eh, see what we did there? Eh? Right. Like, there's never the elbow and the wink, you know, when they do something like that. They just sort of do it. And, you know, if you know, you know. And, you know, if you don't, it, it just sort of looks nifty. Like, there's a nice shot of a dude at the end of the hallway and that's, and you're done. And I love those, I love those moments and all of the, the inside out stuff, um, you know, of, of M being M, you know, and it's Dame Judy Dench and it's not, some stuffy old dude behind a desk. And it's, you know, all of those ways that they've taken a left turn with whatever it was. I've enjoyed all of them. And even the things that happened out of necessity, like we have a new cue now and we have to figure out how to make that work because Desmond Llewellyn passed away. And, you know, obviously they probably had a little bit of time to work on that because he'd not been a spring chicken for some time. But, yeah. um, but figuring out 
how to make that work not just how to make it happen in the films but how to make it something believable and something that that the audience could track that would make sense and having all of those things be what they were and like uh how dame judy dench portrays m and their relationship and how it's very different from m once m is played by voldemort and all of the <laughs> things that they that they sort of turn over you know because even that you know him and ray fines have this very different relationship than he had when m was dame judy dench and like even that was sort of different you know because now he's working with a new person in charge and all of these and and um you know, like I remember seeing an interview with Daniel Craig talking about uh, we have to make sure there's no actual furniture in his apartment. You know, he wouldn't care. So this is the first time in all of these movies in all of these years we've ever seen where he actually lives. So when we get there, it needs to just be the TV on the floor because it doesn't matter to him. He's not really there. It it shouldn't matter. And so like all of those little moments like that that they do, I really appreciate that somebody stopped and thought it through on like on a on a smaller smaller scale on a much larger scale it would be nice if quantum of solace made more sense it'd be nice if, <laughs> if you know uh, like uh, some of those other some of those other things on a on a much more macro level would be great but um that's part of what i like about these the the beauty of the end of skyfall isn't isn't just that it's home alone but that <laughs> instead of well instead of bond going to some giant lair that's you know hidden inside a volcano or under under sea in this giant complex or anything it's outer the space. villain or, or outer space it's the <laughs> villain coming to him right yeah. it's his lair literally um and speaking of awesome bond villains yeah i oh, mean i mean javier bardem Dude. now does does the plot of skyfall hold up five minutes after you walk out of the theater entirely it's awfully coincidental that that train explosion is exactly at the right moment when bond just happens to be there and but you know is it a cool sequence it's an amazing sequence oh Come it's on. so awesome <laughs> yeah, we take our brains off the hook for a couple hours absolutely i mean that's the that's the point of them right it kind of always yeah. was i mean isn't isn't this the franchise where that comes from all you need to make a movie is a gun and a girl pretty much one thing I liked about the Craig movies, too, is that they were coming out when James Bond as a, a cultural icon was kind of under attack. Um, mm. You see the, the, the Bourne films were coming out. Tom Cruise was finding new ways to try to kill himself with every Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and it, they could have lapsed into imitation, uh, trying to chase those things. And they did a good job, I thought, in different ways in each movie, whether it was... Um, Mark Forster's innovative editing, even if it wasn't very coherent in Quantum of Solace or Martin <laughs> Campbell's stripped down, you know, largely practical action scenes in Casino Royale or the beautifully shot action in Skyfall or whatever was going on in Spectre. Spectre was just like, hey, you remember those James Bond movies you liked as a kid? Here's that with more money thrown at it. Or Kari <laughs> Fukunaga's beautiful, you know, elegant set pieces and that almost stalker horror-ish opening sequence he did oh. in no time to die um they found ways to make bond distinct make it mm -hmm. beautiful and make it stand out from the Bourne films rather than just here's a bunch of shaky cam because that's what you kids like these days <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> Although now one thing that's kind of weird to me, um, with the Pierce Brosnan films, we had the little bit of upending things by bringing in Judy Dench, and and they did they did kind of have to do a a you know start the engines cold with Goldeneye because uh, it had been a long time, and. You know, they, they maintain Judy Dench, and but we're 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 challenging all these things about Bond, and yet over the five films, suddenly it's evolved back to Emma's a man in an office with a leather door, uh, just like in the Sean Connery films. And everything is slowly kind of inching back to the old status quo in a way. And I hope yes. they don't do that going well, forward but it's a rebuilt status quo which is interesting m is not yes. just a guy who is giving orders he is a person who has a history with bond they have conflict that isn't just you know give me your badge and your gun mcbain <laughs> you're off the force uh you know money penny isn't just the secretary making eyes at bond she is a person with a history of her own q is not oh hello 007 here's a watch that explodes in five different ways He's a person who learns from his mistakes. I love that you see in, in No Time to Die, he does not make the same mistake he made in Skyfall. He's like, I'm going to take this suspicious thumb drive and plug it into my isolated computer that is not connected to any networks over here. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But right. but you care about all these people as people. And it's yes. almost a shame that we're, they're, getting, they're probably going to get thrown out for a complete reboot. I would love to be like, we used to have a guy called James Bond. That's your new code name, new person. There's always the joke that uh, James Bond is clearly a time lord because he keeps regenerating into new actors. Yes. That's um, what I expected to happen at the end of this one. Kind I mean, of. honestly. Yeah. They kind of had that same sort of vibe. Like, okay, nobody walks out of this one alive. Yeah. Mm. I really wanted to hand it off to our, our new 007. And... Who I thought was fantastic. And oh, I, I was I terrific. And how great She's was awesome. it? How great was the little, like, 007 banter? the yes you mean you or me kind of thing right right that was a wonderful touch there were so many touches in this film and so it was largely written by the same two guys who've written most of the last i mean going back to the pierce brosnan ones uh but then they brought in phoebe waller bridge to do some script doctoring apparently she focused on the anna de armas sequence and oh, that I, makes sense. All I hail would, Phoebe Waller-Bridge in that, that case. Tracks. And I would not be surprised if part of her focus was on 007 as well, uh, because <laughs> those those were the parts of the film that were refreshing. That's what I wanted to see more of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, there's that great 10-minute scene. We still got quippy time with the attractive woman who is also kicking ass, but we they didn't, like, go to bed together. It was just quips and entendres and here have another shot yeah, yeah he's even shy she's like take your clothes <laughs> off and he's like um no I, I excuse me i barely know you and i'm just like where have you been all my life james bond <laughs> <laughs> where where were you in skyfall when you just kind of walk into the shower with what's her name yeah hmm. i i will say i was really frustrated by 
Safine, is that it? Safine. Safine. I, I just don't know. Lucifer like, Safin. <laughs> that what an interesting idea that you have a villain who feels both he and Bond feel protective toward the same person. And he is pursuing mm. the same goals as Bond in a very ruthless way. What if he was an antagonist but not a villain? What if they just ended up like agreeing with the goal but pursuing different means and ended up on opposite sides in that? But no, all of a sudden they throw out all that really interesting setup. And for no reason, he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to murder a bunch of people. Also, I'm creepily obsessed with you. <laughs> and it was just such a letdown. It was so frustrating to have that interesting setup and that interesting actor, Rami Malek, and then waste it on like, yes, do you like tired Orientalism? Here is some more of it. <laughs> uh, I do have to ask, though, what in the, in the showdown scene with when they're talking to each other at the low table with the little girl and I am against child in danger. That is our tension. Mm-hmm. shtick because it makes me cringe but what is rami malik's eyeline doing <laughs> that whole scene is super oh. distracting because it looks like he's <laughs> i was looking lost at like Jar i thought Jar i was Binks or something right i thought i was following all the action but i just kept going what, what's over there well what's he looking what's what's over there what's is there something interesting behind is bond? Not james bond <laughs> what is it what's what's over why aren't don't, you showing me what's over me. there i'm sorry that i'm not looking in your eyes just the packers ravens game is on that i have a big bet on this one <laughs> yeah i've got to beat the spread that's maybe it. maybe he was watching the stuffed bunny rabbit. I I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. It just I actually enjoyed the fact that all of a sudden there is a child in the midst of a James Bond action sequence, especially the car chase. That is something I'd never That's seen in a fun. Bond film. He never has to care about anyone else before or worry about anyone's safety ever. Now all of a sudden there is a small child and he is driving a more or less sensible family vehicle and choppers are trying to blow him up. That was a wrinkle I enjoyed. Yeah. But the slow stalking of of child made me uncomfortable. Yeah, that was that was a bit much. That was at, the, not great. at the top and later, anytime that there's the old like, what do you do if you hear a noise? Hide. Oh, I can't. Yeah. But doesn't yeah. she like get a gun and then shoot him several times? Yes. Well, yeah, I like then... that. I like a child who is like, I will. Granted, <laughs> in real life, I want guns kept as far away from children as possible, but in a fictional world, I like a child who is being menaced by a terrifying intruder and then picks up a gun and shoots him repeatedly. Yeah, Spectre agents really don't have very good weapon safety. They apparently, really because don't. It was right under the sink next to the fire extinguisher. There's no <laughs> lock on it. Reasonable gun regulation. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. I mean, it's Norway, so. Yeah. But it's, it's like that... <laughs> James Thurber rewrite of Little Red Riding Hood, where the big bad wolf accosts her and she pulls a revolver out of her basket and shoots him. I just, I loved that. I loved that turnabout. <laughs> I just don't really care about the villain in No Time to Die. That's I, really all it is, is I don't. It's, and we also haven't discussed sub-villain number one. It's Vanya and Sonia and Masha and crushed by a Land Rover. <laughs> Like, I still am not totally sure what his jam was. Are we talking about the eyeball guy or the handsome guy? Oh, I forgot about the eyeball guy, too. I kind of love the eyeball guy because I, I was thought thinking it, State Department guy. He was very fun. Right. The the handsome guy who, who uh, was instrumental in killing Felix. Oh, I did appreciate him as, like as a bad guy, mostly because the sequence on the boat right before Felix died, when 
when when it all went down and we figured out what it was that was going on uh that bit i mean well with him anyway with <laughs> him that he was not a good guy when we figured out that that guy on. yeah that that guy was 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 really not a good guy um like that bit was really fun and watching that unfold was super great and you know when he starts behaving and you know weirdly and we're like what is going on with him and then you know, it all becomes clear and loved. And then he evaporated, which was sort of weird. Um, yeah, I did I kind enjoy of the that. subtle, the subtle aside where Felix uh, implies that he is a political appointee sent by a certain wannabe fascist dictator, uh, former president. Mm. Um, that was like, <laughs> yep, that tracks. Yep. I also really enjoyed the use of lighting. Uh, Fukunaga does such incredible work with lighting in that so film. Spectacular. The way they get on the boat and it's got the red lights on, you know, yeah. and I'm sure on in real life that serves some practical purpose like not to scare the fish, but that that red light is subtly telling you nothing good is about to happen here, be afraid. Right. Yes. Alert, right. alert. Yeah. Yeah, visually it's a stunning film. It's really nice. Yeah. And even in the even when it's dramatic and spooky, you can actually see everyone see with their what's a, happening. I mean, it also was shot on like actual film, which helps. But you you mentioned, you know, Safin, he's the big problem with the movie, and I agree. And it's just so frustrating because they could have changed at the script level very easily his character into someone a lot more complicated and interesting. And it was like, no, we want the big dumb Bond villain with the big dumb headquarters with the big dumb thing. Oh, I love poison. You like poison? I put the poison inside the poison inside the poison. I grew up <laughs> with poison. This was my poison garden, little girl. Now, a poison garden is a great idea. Well, yeah, but and that's that's straight out of the novel of You yeah. Only Live Twice. It's Dr. Shatterhand's Garden of Poison. And yeah. I hated that field trip. But, but <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just it's too much and not enough. They in a yeah. series where they they have done a really good job of investing even the villains with complexity and humanity, they just went right the other way. They set it up, and I like Madeline. I like that you're kept guessing: is she is she evil? Is she good? And she even gets some depth, some complexity. She gets to be a person with feelings of her own, and to have that swerve where you go, nope, he's just a big dumb old villain. Ah. <laughs> But like that we went back, we reverted to type should not be a plot twist. I, ju I think right. that's part of what it is. It's it's cheap to go. No, we're just going to make him a big dum dum. You know, no, thanks. Yeah. Even Blofeld gets to be better in No Time to Die. First yes. of all, that scene is like the right amount of Christoph Waltz being a bad guy you want in your movie. It's just enough. So he doesn't overstay his welcome. And he gets to like turn it up to 11 a little bit, but not. You know, not too much. He gets know. to take it up to Bond villain, you know, exactly. but just yeah. for a minute. And it's great. So so to have that and then just to have Safian have this fascinating premise and then back right away from it for no reason. Uh, and, but, and to have a villain who literally steals the movie from your Bond villain in all of, you know, like what, eight minutes. He's barely in the film and then he dies. And then we have the rest of this like next hour and a half with Safine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who is so cool and creepy at the beginning and then becomes so fascinating and sympathetic in the middle. And then for the last third, they're like, wait, crap, we needed a Bond villain. Okay. Uh, <laughs> suddenly you have an island lair and you like uh, poison. Go. 
Uh, Garden of yeah. Poison. That'll and you're work, gonna sell right? it to everybody. Okay, cool. There's a <laughs> bunch of people. There's a bunch of people coming to buy this. Where did those ships go? Who knows? Who cares? Yes. Why are you selling all this poison? I want to destroy the world. Cause just cause, you know, don't, who doesn't look, I, it came with the lair guys. I, <laughs> I, I bought the lair. It came with the plan. What am I going to do? I have a lake full of poison in my basement. Am I not going to destroy the world? <sighs> my father was a poisoner. My grandfather was a poisoner. His father was a poisoner. I guess I gotta be a poisoner. I tried to flip the lair. I thought it was one of the trim levels. When you, when you get an underground lair, there's like the poison garden trim package, right? <laughs> no just have james bond fight elon musk guys just you could have just done I that mean, everyone would have been that, like that sucked too that was that was jonathan price no that was james bond fighting rupert murdoch i'm that's sorry you're right that's a different one yeah there's a subtle but, difference but remember <laughs> when when the lair was on zillow and everyone was like did you see the photos of the poison garden it's just yeah. all over twitter because it was so exciting because it was going to uh, be awesome and for the record yeah. the set looks really good it oh, does. yeah and the oompa loompas the poison oompa loompas look really sort of spooky <laughs> i don't know what those lamps are for but it looks really nice it looked cool it the laboratory that they cool. blow up looks great i love that like james bond dies because of a stuffed bunny <laughs> i mean yeah also here's the thing if you have small robots inside you then the way you deactivate them is you hit them with an electromagnetic pulse, which exactly. you are wearing on your wrists. Exactly. It's like, guys, if, if they'd made it biological, then, you know, there be, there would have been no cure. But no, it had to be nanobots because those are cool, except you've got an EMP on your wrist. You are wearing the cure, dude. I feel yeah. like the nanobots thing was a late edit. Thank you. Because otherwise it was too creepy if it was just disease. You know, it probably started that way. And then pandemic, oh, yeah. and they went. We we better back away from this a little bit. That, uh, yeah. That's just me totally guessing. But too. but thank you for bringing up the EMP because I'm like we talked about this, and we never get the tour of the EM of the the Q toys unless they're going to come in handy later. It's not like he talks oh. about uh, you know what was that Eddie Izzard bit like these these trousers turn into jam. <laughs> turns you know, into and, jam. Yeah, we never get Don't you know. We never there. see. Could you sit in the front seat? <laughs> we never see you the jam trousers. You know, <laughs> we never see the jam trousers because we don't talk about the ones that like we're not going to actually use. So we talked about the EMP, and I'm like, okay, so they're nanobots. Like, isn't that a? Am I thinking no. about this too hard? And it's apparently just, the answer is no. To, it's just there to prop open a door, and then for some reason, murder eyeball guy. Yeah. 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 yeah, Bond, you have tiny robots inside you that could only be cured if we had some sort of intense electromagnetic pulse. Now, moving on, here's an intense electromagnetic pulse that you strap on your wrist. Sorry, you're still uncurable. Yeah. Shame about the cure not working for you. So, you know, the the whole point of the nanobots is that it's it's a programmable thing, so it can, you know, it's specifically his nanobots are programmed to kill Madeline and and their daughter. So that's why he's going to sacrifice himself. But, but again, you have the EMP. Come on. Um, <laughs> so that, that, but that is my biggest problem with the movie. Like, I get that, yes, we want to do something different with Bond. We want to, uh, you know, D Daniel said, hey, when I leave, can, can we kill him off? That They had that in mind, you know, four movies ago. Mm -hmm. um, I, I get it. 
I get it. But then to do that and literally finish off the movie with James Bond will return. Well, you just undercut the one that made me mad in innovative a bunch of ways. thing you did. Yeah. Why don't yeah. just do Dota 007 will return? You said Which that earlier right. and I think right? it's worth repeating because it makes so much sense. <laughs> that said, I loved that he died. Not because I like wanted to see him die or hated him, but it was a gutsy move. You ha- giant James Bond never dies. That's not a he thing we ever wins. see him do. Yeah. And and yeah. so I love that that and that he died in like not, you know, struggling or fighting just in this like quiet moment of love. He died, you know, a a better person, a whole person compared to how you meet him at Casino Royale where he's blunt yeah. and broken and he dies a man, not not a, a tool, not a weapon, not a misogynist creep, but a, a dad and a human being who loves and wants to to let that love be known. I know that like there are Bond purists out there going, no, he should be just filthy with misogyny <laughs> and STDs. No, I'm sorry. I love James Bond, likable human being. Maybe I, they'll I, get that in the next re- regeneration. Well, see, <laughs> I, like... The the way I thought of it when I came out of the theater was, in the abstract, if this weren't a Bond film, that's a great ending. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. As a Bond film, it did piss me off. And and because I do like the idea of him becoming a full a fully fleshed human being, except he doesn't entirely because he's like, oh, I just discovered I'm a dad. Oh, I'm going to let a bomb kill me. He well, never actually closes the circuit of becoming, you know, it's like he's almost there and then he never has to do school uh, drop offs and pickups and he never has to be a dad. He just knows the fact of it. That is a movie that I actually do not care to see. No, oh, absolutely no. not. Yeah. I would see that no. movie five times <laughs> in the theater and then buy it. I want to see James Bond preschool dad. And and I will say I am not a Tom Cruise fan. But I love the Mission Impossible films from like Ghost Protocol onward uh, because they're they're doing that. They're doing that really well. And that sort of stereotypical what you want from a Bond film, there's just enough humanity to it. But it's like, yeah, we'll just we're going to have this great plot and great stunts. And if he dies in the middle of a stunt, well, hey, (laughs) (laughs) but We have enough footage of him. We'll just CG the rest. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. an aspect of the Mission Impossible films that I don't like that that I, I'm glad Bond didn't imitate, which is that Tom Cruise's ego necessitates that both he be mm. the only Christ-like savior of the world and yet also be humble and put upon. So he's like, <laughs> you know, so yes, everything goes badly for him. Oh, man, I, my, my helicopter is falling off a cliff again. Oh, come on. But at the same time, it's also like Ethan Hunt is our Lord and Savior. Only Ethan Hunt is the most perfect human being alive. Only Ethan Hunt can save us. James Bond is just a guy. He's a guy and he's messed up. He has trust issues. He's good at his job, but he's just a dude. And you never get the sense in the Daniel Craig movies that he is some immortal, invincible super god because you see him take his lump. Yeah. Daniel Craig never feels like they're playing a nipped in James Bond. Like there is... Occasionally, Pierce Brosnan would be like, oh, you're a plaster cast. Like, you are a, <laughs> you are a omnipotent being. Those wax animal machines. Yeah, the Moldoramas <laughs> of James Bond. Yeah. yeah, like, I, I, love, I love GoldenEye for what it is. GoldenEye is good. And 
Tomorrow Never Dies is underrated. It's okay. Michelle Yeoh. Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. Oh, I forgot about Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. Until they betray that by having the two of them rolling around on the floor at the end of the movie instead of parting with a respectful handshake like they always should have done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Michelle Yeoh is amazing in that movie. She she has better taste than to go for for Bond. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, each each of the Brosnan films kind of again gets away from what was cool about the first one. It, it just they all get bogged down in their history at some yeah. point, which is why I'm willing to actually be sort of contrary and go to bat for this one. Like I'll advocate for No Time to Die because it feels like there's a ton of like I feel like this is a real Easter egg heavy Bond. Like there's a bunch yeah. of stuff in No Time to Die that makes you go, ah, I see what this is, but yeah. it never like wallops you with it, which feels like a nice tie-off to the to the series. It's a bow on to it, the, to be sure. Yeah, right. And and I think that that I think it's a really successful movie, and that it does that, and it looks really good, and it actually held my attention for most of the 170 minutes that it's that it's going, mm-hmm. and. The story doesn't hang together super duper well, but none of them do. Right. Which of these movies has had a story that that <laughs> hangs together the whole way through? And yes. I mean, this hangs together a lot better than Spectre. Uh, oh, for sure. As, as much as I enjoy, again, I enjoy the set pieces in Spectre for the most part. But wow, the second half of Spectre just no, go away. Yes, the movie where James Bond forgets, uh, no, James Bond decides that he doesn't have brain damage, and so he doesn't, through sheer force of will, right. and yet that's not the dumbest <laughs> thing in the movie. The dumbest thing in the movie is Blofeld. Um, yeah. I was going to say, these these movies, the Daniel Craig movies, are at their strongest, well, sorry, they are at their weakest when they lean too much on the history of James Bond, you know, the the cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. When they draw, mm-hmm. as they do in Spectre, when they dip too deeply into the well of, hey, remember those James Bond movies you liked as a kid? And they are at their strongest when they build on each other and on the story they are telling within these films and the characterization they establish within these films to do new and interesting things and invest their characters with depth. Well, it became a serial. Like, it became a serial instead of just individual, like, yeah. monsters of the week, right? Right. And I love well, that. Yeah. And I I think part of it is there's there's a history and there's tradition. And I Mm -hmm. think that's I think when they rely too much on history, we're doing this now because we did it before. uh, Those are the parts that feel cheap. And then when it's tradition, uh, you know, James, you know, James Bond is this particular sort of dude and would make this sort of decision. And so when faced with this new situation, like here's, you know, this is still a decision we could see that James Bond would make or this is a choice that money penny would make you know even you know even in these these new improved characters like they earned all of those new characters new plot lines new sets of of decision making criteria by being in the tradition of the stuff that we've we've gotten that came before and that's i think the thing that i really appreciate about it is like you were saying they they sometimes get a little lost in the in the history of everything that they've been doing and i sort of hope that part of what this movie was supposed to do was help sort of burn all of that down so that moving forward whatever we do because i think uh david you may have to correct me i think we've done all the novels now right or at least oh, all the Ian Fleming long ones. ago yeah like 
I thought so. Casino Royale was the last one they hadn't done because the rights had been tied up for so many decades. Yeah. So Quantum of Solace was a title, but it's a short story where James Bond appears, but it's apparently about some other dude entirely. Yeah. And and like now one of the Easter egg kind of things that really worked for me in this, uh, because Easter eggs in Bond films don't always work. It's sort of like, oh, that's cute. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, using the musical motif of the of the song we have all the time in the world from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, where Bond loses his one great love from the books, yeah. um, it it's just a light motif in this movie. It's there if you notice it and if you know it, and if you don't, it's just a lovely piece of music that's elegiac and fits the mood anyway, because it's written for the same mood basically. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's a lovely grace note through the whole film and, and shifts how, who it's referring to at various points. Uh, it's lovely. The music all through these films has been fantastic. I love yeah. how in Casino Royale, the motif is the first three of those four iconic James Bond notes. It's always building and you don't get that fourth note. You're like, he's not quite there yet. <laughs> and then when he shows up at the end and the, the then he's the Bond that you know. And the theme blasts. And then, Um, yeah. I also, one last thing that I thought was genius about No Time to Die, the opening sequence. It is rooted in in the character that we have established since Casino Royale. If James Bond thinks that a woman is about to betray him, he is going to shut down and get the hell out. And he is going to burn. He's not going to burn all those bridges. He's going to wire them with dynamite and bridge on the river, quiet them. Um, And so Blofeld knows this. Blofeld roots his scheme in an understanding of Bond's nature and character, and Blofeld makes James Bond defeat himself. Mm-hmm. And Blofeld wins. Blofeld wins absolutely. He accomplishes everything he set out to do, he, which is make James Bond a mis- even more of a miserable wreck of a human being than he is, take away the one real chance at happiness he had, and have him just, you know, lead an empty and pointless life. And... um yeah, I really loved that. They don't really touch on it heavily in the movie, but it's there. And when you stop to think about it, you're like, movie? That was very clever. Why couldn't you have used more of those brains for the man with the poison garden? <laughs> <laughs> they used them all on realizing that he'd go to his other dead love's tomb and they could blow him up with the tomb. <laughs> I do like the little the little cameo picture in the in the tombs so you know, oh, just yeah. in case you're like uh, what one was she again? Uh, <laughs> oh, they gave us a little picture. <laughs> but I the the whole uh, car chase sequence and you know racing through the town and that's shooting great. it up that's amazing. Loved it. I think I think that's more successful than the than the Day of the Dead one. Ooh, yeah, strong yeah. words. I can go with uh-huh. that. I, it's maybe just a little more. Did you not see the part where the helicopters do the barrel rolls, Tom? <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I think it hung together a little bit better. One it felt a little tired. I think it's one, the spectacle of the parade that really makes that really is what a sets that apart from this. He drives through the parade on a motorcycle. <laughs> there are sheep the, in this, guys, and no. James Bond doing donuts. I mean, what more do you yeah, want? I mean, there's one in the in the old school Aston Martin. <laughs> That I, uh, that I did appreciate. One thing I will say for the Day of the Dead sequence. Until then, there was no such thing as a Day of the Dead parade in Mexico City. And ever since, they have done a Day of the Dead parade. Really? Because of the movie. Yep. Wow. 
That's unexpected. Isn't that wild? Deeply. So when this inspires a sheep parade in Greece or wherever it is. (laughs) Italy. Italy. Italy? Thank you. Yeah. Italy. So, all right, I, we, we should get to the, the final question then. Where do we want to see Bond go from here? Because he, he's going to return. We know that. Yeah. Uh, in a workplace comedy? Is that, <laughs> is that an option? Um, World's greatest uh, spy boss. Honestly, it's whatever the, the next one is, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, mostly because what I'm, what I'm hoping, and this is just probably me being cautiously optimistic, is that we get uh, that we have sort of burned down a bunch of the rest of it. And so moving forward, it's going to be some sort of new era and we're not going to be encumbered by necessarily encumbered by all the stuff that came before. And if we decide we want to disregard it, we can disregard it. And we're going to still tell a really fun story about a spy, about modern technology, about, um, you know, maybe one of the things they will incorporate is it won't, ne- you know, James Bond won't necessarily be a man sort of out of place as the mo- as the world moves on with cell phones and everything else around him. Right. And maybe we'll get somebody, uh, somebody a little bit more of the time as James Bond was when we got him initially in the books. And so that's my hope. And I really still I'm still really mad that it says James Bond will return because it should have said 007. I would have been much happier with yeah. that. Um, yeah. but if 007 does return, uh, I shut up and take my money. I'm 100% here for that. Uh, they gave themselves a ton of canvas and I just hope they, I mean, yeah. there's no reason to, to circle the wagons to completely continue mixing metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about what the future could hold for this. Um, as long as they continue to take it seriously. As far as like making sure that they're telling a, a a reasonable story about a spy trying to save the world, because those are the best kind. You're out of Ian Fleming, so don't bother. James Bond is a name. It's a silhouette. Most people are not going to read the, the novels and be like, James Bond likes his eggs this way, not that way. Um, <laughs> Which is a thing in the books. Yep. Oh, yeah. But we know he's a spy and I don't need to, I don't need any more than that from the books. That would be great. He's a spy. He has cool gadgets. He saves the world. It, I, uh, what I love is that the, the Craig films stripped away like a lot of the worst things that people associate with James Bond. So you don't mm. have to say, oh, James Bond. Oh, he hates women. Oh, he sleeps with a different woman in every movie. That doesn't that's no longer part of the tradition. They have broken away from that. So now it can just be, oh, James Bond. He's an interesting person. He's complex. He's vulnerable. He, you know, he gets hurt a lot, but he still saves the world. We get to keep the cocktails, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Anna Armas's character is named after a cocktail. That's right. Mm-hmm. So just so you still get to do that. <laughs> if you if you can't just have the Anna de Armas adventures, um, which I would happily watch, um, then just use that blank slate for all it's worth. Mm-hmm. You Daniel Craig's series, both it rebuilt the house and then it tore it down and it burned all the blueprints. Go someplace new with it. That's what I want to see. And Tom, uh, where where would you like to see Bond go? That's, I don't know that I could put it better than that. That's, I think we need to see it do its own thing. Like distill it down to, you know, what works with Bond is, like you said, spy stories that kind of hang together. There's a few flashy gadgets and everybody's too cool for the room. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, let's just stick with, you know, you can, it doesn't have to be, 
white guy. Everybody's like, oh, it's a blonde guy. What's that all about? <laughs> when Craig was so oh, I remember yeah. that being the like that was a thing. The Everyone most calling him James Blonde. Yeah, the most unforgivable thing they could have done was cast a guy with blonde hair. And then <laughs> he came out of the water in that swimsuit and a lot of people didn't care anymore. A lot of people forgot real fast. Mm. <laughs> they they had new things to focus on. I'm going to think about um, that now and forget a lot of things mm-hmm. while we're sitting here. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to see more of Paloma. Oh, dear God, I'd love to see more of, of her character. Uh, I'd love to see Nomi, um, who made such an impression, and yet I didn't know her name. I only knew her as the new 007, uh, so I had to look it up just now. Uh, but, you know, that also means that she's a blank slate. We don't mm-hmm. know anything about her. We know she dresses well and she kicks enough behind to rate being a double O agent. Absolutely. And, and knowing the size of the shoes, they still let her be double O seven. So I know everything I need to know about her to go watch a whole new series. And and she she has the respect of Voldemort and Paddington, so See? Uh, this is what I'm saying. I'll tell you I will say this though. If we never get another if they just start over again and we never get another minute of Lana Darmas and Nomi and Paloma. That's a okay by me too, because as it is, their story is so interesting in this film that mm-hmm. if it just leaves me curious and wanting more great, and they oh, just yeah. go a completely different direction and it's not Ray Fiennes and it's not, um, what's his face? Ben Wishaw who plays Q was he coded queer in all these films, by the way? I or was it just this one? I think it was intentionally not specified, but that he he was hoping to make that clear. Yes. Okay. Because I thought that was an interesting twist. Yeah. It wasn't like made much of in this in the film, but I was like, oh, hmm, okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. It contributed to the sense that all these people are people with lives, except for James yes. Bond, who has no yes. life. They have lives outside of the office. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that thematically is like, I hope that that's sort of the backbone is that it's this guy who is obsessed with his work yeah. and the work is spy stuff. Actually, that is what I would love to see. I would love to see a film that at least begins with Bond having, you know, being out of duty like for medical reasons or something and he's you know he's he's nearly recuperated but he's having to do normal life and he's really bored and in alfred hitchcock style he thinks he sees something and he pursues it and it turns out to be some small ordinary things just in his mundane life turns out to be some big international super spy adventure that would be a nice inversion instead of bond there's a guy (laughs) with a volcano and he wants to blow up the moon it starts small and then builds and builds and builds and you get to see James Bond like in his everyday, miserable everyday life where he's not getting to sit martinis and, and chase people and, and shoot motorcycles and things. Can we talk about the themes for a minute? Because at least I feel like he didn't, Daniel Craig didn't get done the disservice of other people who got substandard Bond themes. I mean, Skyfall, I would put as, a, as, as the, the theme from the movie, I would put that up there with anything. Number Oh, you know my name, Chris Cornell. That is an underrated song. People hate that song. I love it. That song. uh, It's amazing. Appropriate a term that that people younger than me use and I'm too old to use. But that song whips. 
That I was going to say slaps. Yeah. That song is a great song. <laughs> I don't think it's a great Bond theme. That's all. I don't dig uh, it as much as a Bond theme. I, there are other ones I like. Those are not Madonna's or garbage. But no, no, um, God, no. Like, no it, it works, though, because this is not Casino Royale is not until the end a Bond movie. It is something new and different. And that song is just like a giant horse needle full of adrenaline right to your heart. Yeah. And the lyrics are actually they're not as cryptic as, say, you know, no time to die. <laughs> You know, yeah. they are describing this person that you have just met, this cold-blooded person who, you know, yeah. is, exists in this world of danger. Oh, it's just, I, that song is awesome, and I, it's my favorite Bond theme. But yeah, all the ones are good. Um, Even, you know, um, Just Another Way to Die for Quantum of Solace isn't bad. Oh, the Jack White song? The Jack yeah. White? I've, I've come yeah. around to that one, yeah. The writings on the wall is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is another song that... Uh, David Arnold, I think, who did the score, uh, did for Quantum of Solace, where he got Shirley Bassey, and that is also a really good song. Ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. look that one up too. Okay, uh, yes, no, no offense to Jack White, but Shirley Bassey, you go with Shirley Bassey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Yes, but I've but I've come around. I, I have mellowed on just a, another way to die. Uh, no time to die. I am not going to come around on. I do not like that song. It is. It's just monotonous. It's fine. It's, I mean, it's fine. It's better than garbage and Madonna. I like Billie Eilish because, um, or Eilish or however you pronounce it, because she has a sound that is very new and different and her own. Mm. It doesn't sound like anyone else. So I yeah. enjoyed that. I also just in general enjoy how the, the Craig Bond films moved away in their opening sequences from how many sexy ladies can we show almost <laughs> naked to actually interesting visual explorations of the themes in the film? I, I liked that a lot. Um, yeah. Skyfall, again, Skyfall's opening sequence, magnificent. Oh, no Time tremendous. to Die has a really great opening sequence. And I just mm-hmm. love that it's not like, okay, here's a lady and we'll paint some stuff on her. Uh, and and she's end. bouncing on a trampoline. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, come on. <laughs> I'm not sure what your themes are of this film, but so far I can tell that it is boobs. Bouncing. Yes. And bouncing. Yes. Yeah. So on, on that note, I think we'll, we'll wrap up and uh, I would like to thank all of you for joining me. Thank you, Kelly Gamont. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to be here. And thank you, Nathan Alderman. No, Mr. Lore. I expect you to be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> And and Tom McGrath, thank you for joining us. This was this was a wonderful debut for you. My pleasure. I'm off to go play Proximity Mines for the next several hours. <laughs> <laughs> and and on that note, I have been and uh, ever shall be. Wait, this isn't Wrath of Khan. Uh, I'm I'm David J. Lore, and the one thing I can say for certain is, the incomparable will return.